Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 66 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the Mets search for somebody to run this baseball team is still on. I cannot believe we are now sitting here in November and this is not finalized. We are not sure if the Mets will ultimately hire a president of baseball operations at this point. It might be that they just hire a GM and then... Work from there. So, plenty to go over on today's show. Zach Scott, assistant GM, and then interim GM for the Mets, officially dismissed. We'll get into that. Uh, Matt Arnold from the Brewers, which was the topic of last week's That's So Mets podcast, is not happening. And Raquel Ferreira from the Boston Red Sox potentially could be the next GM. Definitely an interesting name uh, that Joe and I will go through her resume today. Pretty exciting. Plenty of questions from the mailbag. Thank you, as always. And due to request, which I greatly appreciate. The numbers. This is episode 66. We missed the numbers on 65, which was Robert Gesellman and Trevor May. Episode 66, Josh Edgen, Ty Kelly for two weeks in 2018, and Franklin Killomay. Joe, what do you think of that list? Let's get you in here. I know it's an overwhelming introduction. Just just Mets legends who wore number 66. Good old Josh Edgen. Ty Kelly wore it for a couple of weeks and he wore a few other numbers with the team. And then in the 60s, but, I mean, <laughs> yeah, in the 60s. But uh, Franklin Colome, I mean, they when they got him uh, for as Drupal Cabrera, he was a top 10 prospect in the Philly system and was immediately a top 10 prospect in the Mets system. And I remember thinking at the time, like, all right, well, they ripped off the Phillies for a rental of as Drupal Cabrera. And Franklin Colome is hanging out in AAA Syracuse, and he's not on the 40-man roster anymore. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's 66. As as we continue to go across these numbers, uh, you're going to see, let's just say, lesser and lesser players that have worn them. I mean, we're fighting through the dog days right now. It is what we got a good one next week. Yeah, we got a good one next week. We do, and that's what makes this fun, is when you're going through uh, plenty of bad you get into some good, and this is kind of the interesting phase. But next week, there's only one person that's ever worn 67 in the New York Mets franchise history, and he will get, I think he'll get a good five minutes off the top of the show to discuss him. So, that being said, 
let's waste no more time. I think the most topical thing in the Mets world is that Zach Scott will no longer be with the Mets. This is an interesting one for a variety of reasons. Obviously, a huge off-the-field, away-from-the-team incident with Zach Scott essentially found uh, sleeping behind the wheel. And obviously, worse, uh, it was reported he was under the influence of plenty of alcohol. So, problematic uh, era for Scott. I think some of his quotes in the media, while maybe the harsh truth, were definitely not received well in the clubhouse. That was no secret. But behind those two issues, with the first one being a significant issue in my eyes in the world today, um, he was well-regarded in the baseball world as an intelligent guy um, that was brought here you know, with expectations to grow throughout this organization, and now that will no longer be happening. So, Joe, what's your you know, kind of two cents here on, on the Scott era quickly being over in New York. I mean, I think it, it was the right thing for the Mets to do. Uh, Zach Scott, like you said, he's a great baseball guy and you know, he's, he's not done working in baseball. He's not, he's going to land on his feet somewhere doing something. Uh, but the reality is when you're in a position of leadership, you need to be leading by example and uh, driving drunk and, and being found passed out like that's the opposite of good leadership. So to me, it was just, it was the right move. 2021 was just not a good year for the Mets. And uh, I think they're probably looking at it as let's just, let's just wipe the slate clean. Uh, you had the Jerry, Jerry Porter situation. And, and, and then obviously the Zach Scott situation, which while entirely different, with the latter being, you know, probably, you know, definitely much worse. You know, we saw in, in the NFL, unfortunately, with uh, Henry Ruggs, some stuff coming out about that. But, yeah, it was the move that they had to make, in my opinion. Uh, he'll get a job again. He might go back to the Red Sox. But the Mets need to wipe the slate clean from everything that happened in 2021 and just completely start anew. Uh, I know that some people think, you know, image isn't that important, but, it is. So to me, it was the right move. It's what they had to do. And, you know, Zach Scott is a good baseball person, uh, certainly very analytically sound, ran that department for the Red Sox. And, you know, he obviously would have been a useful asset in the Mets front office, but he did this to himself. So I'm not exactly feeling too bad for him today. I think it's the right decision. I, I think when you look at it, you are trying to remake not only – you know, the image of the Mets, let's be real. That is a real part of sports franchises, but this entire organization top to bottom. And they kind of went through this process last year. You know, they couldn't find the president of baseball operations. They did the dual GM situation in a sense. And we all know what happened with Porter. And then now what happened with Scott, where I don't think you want to make a hire and bring them in and kind of, lean on them to clean up a potential mess. And I don't know if Scott would cause any friction. I'm not going to assume that. But the bottom line is there could be clashing personalities here with whatever hire they make compared to the guy that's already in the building. Um, that's just the reality of, of sports and decision-making. And that's the reality of really any corporation at the top. So I think when you look at it from that sense, it, it was a clean slate. It's an opportunity to have a clean slate. I think ultimately, too, Joe, this just shows that even if, and we don't think they will, 
hire a president of baseball operations this year any longer after missing out on a lot of different people they liked, that they will be hiring an actual GM here that is going to be running the show, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So speaking of that exact topic, Matt Arnold's not coming over from the Brewers. There was a lot of traction to this last week, basically to the point where you and I sat down on Tuesday to record our show. We essentially made it the Matt Arnold show. Now, even more interesting in all of this is that there's conflicting reports across the board here of what actually happened, where it sounds like the Brewers did not ultimately or initially grant the Mets permission to speak to him and then the Mets asked again, and then there's other reports that Matt Arnold wasn't interested in working for the Mets or talking to the Mets. I don't really know what to believe here, but what I can clearly tell you is that ownership from the Brewers is not in any way interested in helping big market clubs like the New York Mets, like Steve Cohen, and something funky went on here that I don't think we'll know the real answer for within this offseason. Yeah, we won't know the real answer, but uh, whether they denied permission because they didn't want him to go to the Mets or never answered. Thing, I mean, it almost yeah. sounds like they didn't answer. Yeah. Or did Matt Arnold say, you know, I, I don't really want that job. And then it's just kind of a formality to deny the request. That's what happened with uh, Brian Gersh, the GM with the Cardinals. He basically told the Cardinals that he wasn't interested in the job, so they, as a formality, denied the Mets' permission. Uh, but, yeah, I, honestly, at this time last week, being transparent, I thought we were going on YouTube in a day or two and talking all about Matt Arnold being hired. I ge That's genuinely what I believed, and obviously it, it did not pan out, and you have, to, you have to begin to wonder because not only did he withdraw his name, from consideration, he then immediately signed the contract extension with the Brewers, which makes me go, hmm, a little bit, just because we don't know if it's after 2022 or if he has an option for 2023. You wonder, is Milwaukee thinking about life after David Stearns? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any source information saying obviously that is the truth or not. But it seems peculiar peculiar that a guy like Matt Arnold, who's the number two in Milwaukee, would turn down the ability to be a number one somewhere else, especially a place like New York, and then not only deny that, but then sign a contract extension. So you wonder if the Brewers are like, we're not going to let them have Stearns now, but if Stearns walks when his contract's up, we can't stop him from doing so, and we could promote Matt Arnold to president of baseball operations, and then... Uh, Matt Klein, who's uh, a VP of baseball operations for him, could potentially get upgraded to GM, even though the Mets asked for permission to him, too. So uh, we're not sure if they're going to get that granted. But something tells me that uh, Mark Adonacio is not really willing to let Steve Cohen have anybody. Yeah, I think that's safe to say, which is just hilarious how hypocritical he is, considering they traded for their star player uh, from the Marlins. So I don't know where... Uh, he gets off kind of playing the, hey, we're a small to mid-market team. We have to do things differently. So either way, it's definitely interesting to me. I, I don't know. It's kind of bizarre we never got any clarity on, on David Stearns' commitment to the Brewers, right? Whether there are options, whether there are 
you know, a long-term commitment that he can't get out of or whether that this David Stern's conversation could be happening once again next year. And maybe for the Brewers, it could simply be that they actually are insane and think they can ask for Francisco Alvarez for an executive, which is never going to happen. So with that being said, we will move on to somebody who the Mets have been granted permission to speak to, and that is Raquel Ferreira from the Boston Red Sox. Um, one of the you know highest-ranking female executives across the sport, a honestly just really cool story across the board. When you find somebody in baseball at a high level like Raquel, who right now is the executive vice president slash assistant general manager for the Red Sox, who have been a very successful franchise the last, what, 20 years or so. And she started out working for for the team in 1999 as an administrative assistant. So this is really a, you know, kind of started from the bottom story and now is in a significant position of power with the team, who obviously is a legitimate contender in the big leagues, obviously worked with, you know, Theo Epstein, uh, plenty of years, has worked all over the organization from baseball admin uh, to dealing with contracts. And it sounds like, of course, scouting as well. So I always find it interesting when you're looking for somebody to run your organization, what their experience is, right? And, And the best people often fill the gaps or supplement their weaknesses with not having an ego and by hiring people that do have experience in the areas they don't. And I think clearly with Raquel, while I'm sure she'll be the first person to tell you she's not great at everything because I don't think anyone is in such a difficult job, she has handled a lot of different responsibilities with one successful organization for over two decades. And and that is something that is very impressive to me. Raquel Ferrer is a very interesting candidate. And I, you know, the fact that right now she's only the fourth female to ever hold an assistant general manager role in baseball history. Um, it's actually, it's very impressive to see her growth, like you said, from an administrative assistant. Uh, she does a lot of stuff, mainly with the, the minor leagues and minor league operations. Uh, but to me, I mean, this is someone that has done her time. Um, you know, she's on year 22 with the Boston Red Sox. And like you said, all the way up to executive vice president and assistant general manager. And we know the Mets have asked permission and the Red Sox have granted it, which was not a guarantee, not just because everyone's being a jerk to the Mets and not granting permission. But when the Mets hired Zach Scott last uh, last year, they had supposedly an agreement with the Red Sox that if they let Zach Scott go to the Mets for a lateral role, which is what it was at the time, just assistant GM to assistant GM, uh, that the Mets would agree to not take any Red Sox executive for the next two years. But something tells me that um, they're not going to stand in the way of growth, especially for a female like Raquel, Raquel Ferreira, to be able to get an opportunity like that. You know, male or female, obviously, it's huge. But given the fact that the only person that's ever held the role of general manager that's a female is Kim Ang, who's right now, of course, with the Marlins. Um, to be able to have that second, you know, I think it, it would be very wrong. And the Red Sox know it would be wrong of them to try to stop that. So it remains to be seen if she's interested. But it sounds as if uh, permission was granted and she'll at least take the interview. Um, so what, what comes of it? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I think... She, by all accounts, you know, I, I don't know a ton, a ton about Raquel Ferreira, but based on everything that I'm reading, 
she certainly seems qualified to do the job. And to your point, maybe she's not the most expert scout out there, but guess what? You would bring in people to do that. And the Mets You've got I good mean, people doing yeah, that. Yeah. Right? You have good you have good people. So if you need to supplement pro scouting, I'm sure she knows some people that she can get for that. Um and then obviously the amateur side, the Mets are in good position with Tommy Tanis and Mark Tremuda. I say those names seemingly every week, but those guys do a fantastic job and they've, you know, continually put people into the Mets pipeline. So it'll be interesting to see if something moves here on Raquel uh, in the not too distant future, because, you know, we're coming up on the GM meetings. Um, the expectation is that we're going to have a very active November with the pending CBA expiring on December 1st. Uh, December 2nd, there might be a work stoppage where nothing's happening. No, I mean, there could be rumors, whatever. People could write things, but there'll be no player action uh, during that period. So there's there's an expectation that it'll be a busy November, which to me says, let's go, Mets. You have to get somebody in here um, to be making some rapid decisions. Uh, sure, Sandy Alderson can decide to make a qualifying offer to Michael Conforto and Noah Syndergaard those kind of things. But if you're talking a long-term deal for a Javi Baez or just pursuing, you know, mid-market free agents, you don't want Sandy Alderson doing that. You want whoever's going to be leading this thing going forward. So uh, I'll be interested to see if uh, Raquel Ferrer is the Mets general manager, which is what I think she'll be in interviewing for. To your point, I don't think the Mets are going to be filling president of baseball operations. Uh, once they got turned down by Matt Arnold, I think that was probably the end of that, unless they're keeping someone completely under wraps that's uh, under consideration for that job. And, you know, there'll be a couple other names to think about. Uh, Carlos Rodriguez, uh, vice president of player development from Tampa Bay. Matt Klein, who I mentioned earlier from Milwaukee. Um, Daniel Adler took himself out, out of the out of the ball there. And today, it, Sig Mejdal, who's the... Uh, assistant GM for the Baltimore Orioles, analytics guru, uh, worked for NASA actually before joining wow. base, uh, joining baseball in 2005. Uh, it was when the Cardinals were first starting an analytics department in 05, and he joined that based on you know being inspired by Moneyball. And then he went to the Astros in 2012 and uh, stayed there until he followed Mike Elias over to Baltimore. Uh, when he became the Orioles GM a couple years back. So we have a couple names to keep an eye on. And I do think now we're considering GM over president of baseball operations, uh, which to me, it doesn't really matter. No, uh, no. You just need, you need someone running baseball operations. Uh, the only thing that I think is worth honestly questioning them about is this is the second year in a row that they have hyped their, they want a president of baseball operations and then a GM under them. And they failed to do it. And this time, Sandy Alderson even said on that conference call, oh, yeah, we, we think we're going to have a much easier time filling that job this year. And it feels as if it's harder this year for the Mets to be filling this executive job than it was last year. So something is awry. I don't know what it is. But, uh, yeah, we, we got to get someone in here soon. Yeah, the list seems to dwindle and then expand every other day, right? There's a couple guys that are crossed off. I, I know John Heyman has said Daniel Adler from the Twins is not going to be happening. Randy Flores' name is still out there, the director of scouting oh, yes. with the Cardinals. Why don't you talk about him for a little bit, Joe? 
Yeah, Randy Flores. Uh, you might actually remember him. He was oh yeah uh, a fit, a loogie for the uh, a left-handed specialist for those that don't know that term, um, a left-handed specialist for the Cardinals in like the mid two thousands, and uh, certainly played a bit of a role in the NLCS in two thousand six. And yeah, he's someone that you know the Mets have su- supposedly shown some interest in. And you know we'll see if there if there's anything there, but uh, he joined the Cardinals in 2015 in their front office and sort of redesigned how they scout and develop players and using different video techniques and things. So um, very very bright guy, uh, former Brody Van Wagenen client, so he has some ties to the former Met general manager. So and I know that uh, Brody actually wanted to bring him in to the Mets underneath him at some point during uh, his run here. So we'll see if Flores is is a guy, but yeah, we're we're at the point now where it is starting to bother me that it's just constantly Mets ask for permission, it's denied, or so-and-so has withdrawn their name from consideration. Just get someone in here. Yeah, I, it would be nice, right, to um, go into the most pivotal offseason the team has had and God knows how long with, people that can make baseball decisions that are not Sandy Alderson and not that Sandy even probably wants any interest in doing it. So, all right, let's not make the whole show about this search because it feels like every time we bring up names, they're dated within three days. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes. I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss. If you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. Let's get into the mailbag. Let's have some fun. Let's continue to talk about the Mets offseason and the actual baseball team. We'll take the first question here from Apple Podcast Review, Colin O'Meara. So thank you, Colin, for the review. 
who asks, with all the injuries to the pitching staff throughout the year, who are some names on the free agent market or lower-end trades that could bring depth into the rotation? Instead of Robert Gesellman being infective, ineffective as a long man, I would stretch him out. It, that's an interesting question because you don't know who you know, might not get tendered or what teams are just looking to move on from an arm for various reason, reasons. It could be salary uh, reasons more often than not when starting pitchers are moved. The Mets, ironically, actually probably have some names on the roster that are going to be looked at as the you know, sixth and seventh in the rotation kind of guys with the way they're structured, right? We're going to assume, you know, DeGrom's the one. There's no, you could safely assume that. You're obviously hoping that he's healthy and ready to go. And DeGrom actually spoke this week, I think, for the first time addressing it and said he would have pitched in the playoffs. So I found that particularly interesting, although not shocking. The number two spot's very interesting because I think if they do not re-sign Marcus Stroman, they're going to make a significant move to get a number two pitcher. And then you have, of course, Carrasco, you have Taiwan Walker, and then you get into the McGill-Peterson kind of situation with this team. So, I mean, I'm sure they're going to make moves, right, to get in guys that are going to be, you know, call-ups due to injury and doubleheader kind of pitchers, but I have to think it, there's no obvious name out there at the moment that you go, oh, that, you know, I think they're going to be looking to get a one-year a one-year contract veteran. I mean, I'm not saying Verlander, but think along those lines, right? What we did with Corey Kluber for months last year, Joe, and we talked about him and various guys like that. That, to me, is where you'll be looking for your fifth starter. So, to me, if you're looking for, you know, lower-end guys and depth guys, just bring back Dick Mountain. He said he wants to. He said if he, he wants, wants to, keep to come back. Yeah, yeah. They I mean, tried last he seemed, year. He seemed to imply that he had interest in returning. He could have just been, you know, lip service. And he won't whatever, have to bat with runners in scoring yeah, position every other game anymore. And and he wore one batting glove, which was just always bugged me. Like go to batting gloves or no batting gloves. He's a strange thought, human. Uh, yeah, very entertaining, guy. but very yeah. strange. Love me some Rich Hill, but yeah, to me he's. He's a guy that I'd be happy to bring back to be compete for that fifth starter, be a swing guy, maybe piggyback. I mean, if you're going to bring back Noah Syndergaard here, there's going to be at some point some innings limitation on him because he basically didn't pitch for two years. So uh, I don't think you're going to be getting 200 innings out of Noah Syndergaard in 2022. So having someone like Rich Hill in the bullpen and then also be able to you know take some innings on Noah days, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, and Colin referenced Robert Gazelman. Uh, I honestly think they're going to non-tender Robert Gazelman. So I don't think he's going to be a part of the organization, let alone um, starting pitching depth. Yeah, it, it w- that would not shock me, honestly. Um, okay, moving on. This one from Patrick Chamberlain. Kind of a down-and-out question, but I totally respect it from PC. Why do I keep expecting good things from this franchise only to continually be disappointed despite decades of evidence telling me I should expect nothing? You know what? I do think this has been a frustrating month to be completely transparent, right? And I'll be completely honest, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that I've been busy with football season, of course, during my day job. But at night when I do have the time, I Joe, I haven't even been motivated to watch the world like a second of the World Series. A lot of that is because the Braves are in it, and there's a chance that they are the World Series champions by the time you're listening to this podcast. Hopefully not. Where I'm just like, 
I don't know. I, I'm a little disgusted part of that, and I I have been disappointed with the Mets, and I am one of the more patient fans in the world, and I did not expect them to win the division this year, but the way things went down, it was obviously disappointing. But to answer the question, right, like why you should keep expecting good things or actually have faith is, they actually have the resources to be a competitive baseball team. Uh, you know, obviously from their scouting department and from a money standpoint, they have to get a baseball person in here that makes really good decisions. There's no denying that. But I do think the resources are going to have a long-term impact, whether it's retaining or signing external free agents, you know, obviously retaining your own that you feel strongly about, but also the analytics they have, the facilities they'll have, things along the line of that. A guy that, quite frankly, understands he's not getting any younger in Steve Cohen and will do everything possible that he can for them to be back hosting playoff games again and hopefully competing for a World Series title. So if you've stuck it out this long, my goodness, you got to at least give it another year, right? I mean, let's be honest here. I, I like You got into details here. I'm thinking just on a simplistic level. Like, that's what being a fan is, right? Yeah, especially right. especially, especially a fan of a team that's not the New England Patriots or the Yankees or teams that are constantly winning. Um, that's part of being a fan of these teams is you get this blind hope and they let you down left and right over and over and over again. And, you know, it, I, I think it makes us resilient. That's going to be the word I'm going to choose to use. Uh, we can deal with getting punched in the face over and over and over again. Uh, but to me, the way I look at it is maybe I'm not expecting them to, you know, continually do great things. But, you know, Steve Cohen, has, to me, should be a sign of hope. Um, I know that people have soured weirdly in the last year as if they like forget how long people would have cut off, I don't know, a finger or a toe, something like that to get rid of the Wilpons. Oh, as goodness, owner. yes. Like people have done that for years and how quickly people have just like completely forgotten that they wanted anyone. It would be, they would have taken anyone and they got a guy that is $15 billion richest owner in the sport. And he has aspirations of winning the world series, like in three to five years, I, I didn't want him to say stuff like that. I'm not a fan of making proclamations because odds are that could really only hurt you. Nothing positive will come of making those proclamations. Uh, but it just speaks to the point of he wants to win. Uh, but yeah, to me, it's like be resilient, continue to, you know, have that hope. Cause I'm going to tell you, there will be a day. The Mets will win a world series. I don't know if it's next year. I don't know if it's in the next two to four years. I don't know if it's 10 years, 15 years. I have no idea, but they're eventually going to win a damn world series. And when they do, we are going to enjoy that World Series win probably more than any fan base in the sport will ever enjoy winning a World Series. I think that's perfectly said. Is that, And I've thought that for a long time. I always think to myself, God, if the Mets... I know it's not what people ultimately want, right? But waiting for something so long makes it so much more special. It really, really does. Now, I sit here as someone that... Since I've been born in 1991, only one team I root for has won a title, and it was the Rangers won the Stanley Cup in 94, so I don't even remember it at all. And definitely when I was three or two, whatever it was, did not care. So I don't even know what that's like. And ultimately throughout my life, 
I've had some serious, like, serious connection to the Mets in, in certain years. Obviously, I've, every year I'm a diehard Mets fan, but there's been certain years where, like, obviously 2006, you know, 15 was different because it was a surprise, but, God, it was so exciting. I think even this year I was, like, really, really in on the first half of this team where I was like, oh, my, something feels different with this team, and it obviously all crumbled where it's like, imagine a year where they actually do just put it all together or get hot again, like 15, and close it out and win the World Series, and you're sitting there, and, like, you know, you and I, if it happens, will hopefully, hopefully it'll happen in our 30s. Um, it would be unbelievable, and it would be special, and I think that's why you don't give up as a fan. Is there times where you emotionally check out? Absolutely. That's one thing that I will never fault people for. There are going to be eras of being a diehard sports fan where you cannot emotionally invest everything you have into that team because you just you know what's coming, right? Like we're not going to feel that way next year with the Mets. Like we expect the Mets to build a contender where they should legitimately be a contender next year. But there like 2012, like you there's been plenty of Mets years where you know what the hell is going to happen. Like you know what's up. You don't have to put all your your chips in that basket and say oh man, like they better win it this year or I'm going to lose it. So I think it comes and goes in waves, but just having that attachment and being disappointed uh, can ultimately lead to like the best feeling when they do finally win. Totally agree. There's always going to be times where, you know, especially for a team like the Mets, there's always going to be times, like you said, where, you know, I've checked out. I'll, you know, I'll watch, but there's been years like you referenced 20, 2012, like a year like that. Like I'm not, it's not priority viewing all summer that I need to watch every single game. I keep up obviously. Cause it's what I do, but yeah. What the 2015 run, like I don't remember being that excited about sports ever. And um, obviously it didn't culminate in hoisting the trophy, but you know, for all your Yankee fan friends, I'm sure Patrick uh, deals with a lot of Yankee fan friends. Um, all you have to say is we made the World Series more recently than you did, so piss off. <laughs> and honestly, here's a little prediction for you. I bet it happens again. I bet the Mets are in a World Series before the Yankees are. But we'll see. Hopefully I don't eat those words. All right, the next one from Casey Lane. Before his approval vote, there were rumors that other owners were wary of Steve Cohen as an owner and how his potential spending could impact teams. If it comes out, the other teams are dying the Mets front office interviews to intentionally keep the team down. Are there any repercussions? I don't think you'll ever be able to um, prove it, like collusion, essentially, I'm assuming is what you're referencing here, Casey. I don't think you'll ever be able to prove it because this is something the league, especially baseball, who conveniently turns its head at a lot of things, um, would not really go after. And I also don't know, you know, if it would be possible because they are all probably in it. To, I don't think they're necessarily in it together, but I think it's one of those like, you know, don't ask, don't tell kind of situations where these guys don't want to see Steve Cohen have success. He's way richer than all of them. I think one thing, and I'm not speaking from experience here. I'm just assuming there's nothing rich people hate more than other rich people that have way, way, way more money and success than them in this world. So I, I, I personally believe there's definitely ill will here. Um, but at the same time, there's nothing you could do about it. So there's no need to get bent out of shape about it. You just kind of hope that the Mets, you know, qu quite frankly, pardon my French, like really kick the shit out of all of these teams in the next couple of years. So there's, there's no repercussions because there's no real rules in place that says that they have to allow the Mets to hire. Like I know in the NFL, 
they have a rule, right? Where it's like if someone is getting a promotion, whether that's a coach or whatever, you, you're not allowed to deny them the interview. In Major League Baseball, you it's frowned upon. Um, but you do can so, do it. But, you can deny but it. There, yeah, yeah, there is no rule. The only thing that I think will eventually catch up to some of these organizations if they are maliciously doing this is it'll deter young people that are entering Major League Baseball and you know trying to find their way from going to an organization if they build up a reputation that they are hindering the growth of someone's career. Like that, there's a reason why Tampa Bay constantly has an influx of excellent executives and general managers. You know, they're littered all over the sport. Um, it's because the Tampa Bay Rays let their people go for job improvements. So you work your way up and, you know, if an opportunity arises for you to run an organization, they don't stop you from doing it. You know, you're free to decline someone and come back or whatever, uh, but they don't stop people. Um, so that's why they have a constant flow of people. Um, so there's no repercussions per se, cause there's no rule in place. Uh, but if, if it turns out that they're doing this for malicious and not even necessarily against the Mets, just in general, uh, it'll eventually catch up to them if people catch wind of it. Yeah. People talk, especially in executive roles across all sports. Like, I, I mean, covering this exact topic in the NFL for quite a bit now, I could tell you, you know, what teams um, people, quite frankly, have no interest in ever going to and what teams people are dying to go to because of reputation, because of money and because of politics. So it's very real. And it's a great point by you, Joe, that it's, you know, you can only do that kind of practice for so long before word gets out of, of what you are and how you can handicap or hamstring, you know, young executives and, and hurt their career. So all right, the next one, and it'll this will be the final uh, two questions. This is a two-parter from Steve Miller. I, I love this first one. He said, what stadiums besides City Field have you been to uh, for a Mets game? Steve's been to Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and Chicago. That's a pretty awesome lineup. I have actually never been in my life to, in a way, Mets game, besides Yankee Stadium, of course. I should clarify that. I have been to Mets-Yankees at Yankee Stadium um, I've been to plenty of baseball games, you know, elsewhere. The most recent I've done Seattle, which is a truly beautiful place to watch a game, especially it was in the fall. It was incredible. Uh, I've been to Kansas city, which is a nice ballpark as well, but I have, I'm bad about traveling to see Mets games when they are on the road. I, I also like, don't know what besides Yankee stadium, which is not, it's not the same what that experience is like. Like there's some people that I have like friends in DC and they're like, Oh, you want to come down and see like Mets and Nats? And I'm like, I don't really know if I want to. One of my favorite things about going to a game is the Mets crowd and how into it Mets fans are. I don't know if I would like relish being the enemy. Now baseball is different, right? Like at football games, you're seeing it online every day. People getting into fights to the point where you almost can't even do it. It's just embarrassing for fans. Um, but I, I really would love to, I've been like in Wrigleyville, um, but I have not gone to a Cubs game, which is something I would and PNC everybody everybody raves about. What about you, Joe? I feel like you're a little bit more of a well traveled uh, fan, especially when it comes to the Cowboys. So the seven line would be the answer to your great point. Issues. That's what I that's what um, I need to link up yeah. with because they do yeah, a great you need job. To link, yeah, you link up with Darren. I mean, 
Or as Gary Cohen says, Mets fans in center field. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The Mets contingent, I think, is the uh, the word the the word he uses. Uh, But yeah, the seven line is the main reason why I've done most of my away Mets games. I've done some without them, uh, but I've done Yankee Stadium. I've done Fenway Park. Gotta do Fenway. I'm dying. Gotta do do Fenway. Fenway. Yeah, yeah. I've done Fenway. That was with the seven line, so that was a blast. Um, Actually, that was in that game. Uh, the Red Sox owner came out to where the seven line was and asked to meet Darren to thank him for bringing the group to the park. That's like so, really cool. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, so I've done the, I've done Wrigley to see the Mets. Um, I did Pittsburgh. Uh, so yeah, Pittsburgh, Yankee stadium, uh, Philadelphia. Did I say Philadelphia? I did Philadelphia. Um, that's pretty much it, I think, for Mets. But yeah, when when it comes to the Cowboys, I find a spot to see them every year. Um, this year it was the New England game, so nice overtime win. And uh, yeah, I, I I definitely try to find different spots. But I know it's one of those things like everyone talks about wanting to hit every baseball stadium. I want to do that too, obviously before before my time is up here. But my goal is that I want to see the Mets in those ballparks. Like I. I really don't have a, a, a fleeting desire, you know, just using as an example, to go to Colorado to watch the Rockies play the Diamondbacks. Like, if I go to Colorado, like, I want to have it be, you know, have a vacation there, but then have it based around, like, oh, the Mets are in town during that period of time and go see them. Uh, so, yeah, I have, I have a handful, um, not a ton, but I figured you'd have done more than just Yankee Stadium. No, Um Obviously, football stadiums been to about eight million. Baseball, I am absolutely terrible with. Especially, it is weird. Like it's something I should do more of. Plan a trip, especially weekend trips, when the Mets are somewhere that interests me. But I'm just, you know, and I've been down to Miami a million times, and I just never line up when the Mets are down there. But that's honestly not a place that like really excites me that much to watch a baseball yeah. game. <laughs> so Yeah. I I mean I I'd go I'd go see them against the Marlins to say I did it, but it's yeah. not like I'm not like I'm not looking at the list and being like, man, I gotta get to Miami real quick to see that. Uh yeah. So I mean th- that's the way I look at it, like you said. I look at it as like a weekend trip or something like that and just try to find a new place to like see and then happen to go to a Mets game while I'm there. So while the trip is sort of based around the Mets. It's not like a Mets trip. Like I'm going to do other things for totally. the other two, two, three days that I'm there, but just conveniently plan it around when I have the opportunity to see the Mets too. All right. So Steve had a two-parter. Some, he said something crazy happens and the Mets no longer exist. What current team would you shift your fanhood to? That is okay. So number one, it would, no matter what, I would not move on to a National League team. I want to make that extremely clear. That's like number one rule out for me. I would not root for anyone in the National League. It's down to two teams for me, two totally different teams. The Boston Red Sox, because for a couple of reasons. One, traditionally, I root for awful franchises, okay? I, I'm i a lifelong Jets, Rangers, and Knicks fan. Now, I know the last two are looking pretty good right now, and I don't want to jinx it. Bing Bong. Bing Bong. And the Rangers have, I think, might be the best young goalie in hockey. But And the Jets upset the Bengals. Either way, that does not make up for a lifelong of absolute just terribleness all around. So I would would think about 
rooting for a team that is traditionally pretty good and, and has their stuff together. Number two, the reason is I would be able to go to a couple games a year, right? Like Boston isn't across the country or anything like that. It's a ballpark that obviously looks like a lot of fun. Um, and I would still get to have a very heated rivalry with my Yankee fan friends. So not much would change, quite frankly. The other team, though, and this is the team I lean more towards, and I don't even really know why, would be the Oakland A's. There's just something about the A's that feels a little messy to me, where the change would not be as drastic of a you know overwhelming move. Now, the problem is I would rarely ever get to see them play. Um, which is a huge issue. And number two, good Lord, man, when the Mets go on the road to the West Coast and you you don't even, you just quit. I respect the hell out of it. I think I'm getting there. Staying up late to watch the games. I have a really good friend at Bleacher Report who is a diehard Mariners fan. And he lives in New York, obviously. And he stays up for every game, like every single game. And I just don't have that kind of sleep schedule where I'd be able to watch the A's if I if I pivoted that way. But I want to. Uh, I, I've made it abundantly clear on this podcast. When the Mets play on the West Coast, I am unavailable to follow Mets games. I'm asleep by the first or second inning during the week. It's just, it ain't going to happen. I'm an old man. Well, not really, but whatever. I feel like an old man, and uh, I wake up really early for work. So not a chance I'm staying up. So it can't be a West Coast team because I can't have a team that I can't watch. Um, to me, I'd, I'd probably go for who I think is one of the best run organizations. Cause I would, I would want to go from a team of dysfunction away from a team. You're going to the Rays, Like, yeah, I'm going to the Tampa <laughs> Bay race, which maybe, maybe eventually is the Montreal Expos. Maybe eventually is the Nashville something or others. But, uh, I think I'm going Tampa Bay. Like, give me a team that's well run, no real drama. And you know what else is really cool? Um, getting tickets to their games, if I ever wanted to go into the area, very, very easy to do. Uh, so not paying a premium, because that's the one downfall of my Cowboy fanhood, is I can't go to a Cowboys game without spending hundreds of dollars. It's just not it's just not possible unless I wait till like an hour before kick and I'm sitting in the parking lot drinking, trying to figure out tickets and I just uh, way too much anxiety. I can't do that. Um, like the Jets, I went to the Jets Bengals game this weekend and obviously fantastic and game. They paid, Great you, upset. they paid you to go. Yeah, it was awesome. Pre- it was an awesome yeah, game. They, they pretty much paid me to go. Like I paid like 50 bucks for 100 level seats, 20 rows from the field in the end. Zone. That's unbelievable. And, and shout out to the one person who recognized me there. And said, "Hey, you're Joe DeMeo," and then just walked away. The perfect greeting. So if you ever come, if you ever meet me, just say my name, say hi. You know, we don't we don't need to have all the small talk. But <laughs> I love that. Uh, he yeah, didn't even say hi. No. He just clarified that no, it was you. He he just went, "You're Joe DeMeo," and just kept walking. And uh, no, but yeah, I think Tampa would be it. Like, just I would want to. I would want to get out of dysfunction. Like, I'm so fully into dysfunction with the Mets that like I can't quit it but if they cease to exist and i have free reign the last thing i'm gonna do is be like who else is really dysfunctional so i could just continue this crazy life that i put myself through i would try to find something very sound um but then i'd probably become one of those fans on twitter that 
complains that my team doesn't spend money. So I guess there, I guess there, I guess there's no real right answer. But I feel like Tampa is probably the most sound, and then I would just complain when they trade a, a star two years before free agency every single time. You know, another thing that really matters here, of course, is aesthetic. Like it, to me, I love the A's uniforms and I love the Red Sox uniforms. So I think that really that mattered to me too. Like I wasn't gonna pick a team saying I had the choice to completely have a clean slate and pick a team that I wouldn't wear their gear. And I would absolutely wear gear from either of those color palettes. So that mattered a lot. Um, and, and to kind of put a bow on this, not that long ago, I had to go through the process of picking a Premier League team. And of course, you know, in the fall, it's hard for me to follow as much as I would like. Uh, it's nearly impossible. But I still decided to truly commit to a club. And I picked Crystal Palace because I just couldn't bring myself to jumping on board with like, Arsenal or Chelsea or like one of these powerhouse teams because that's not me it's not me at all like it's I need to go to a team that does not have expectations that does not have the most money that does not have like the arrogant fans I needed to just go with something that fits my other teams so um I I totally hear you and I like that argument anyway episode 66 closing thoughts Joe uh just you know we spent some time talking about Raquel Ferreira and Mike Mayer over at Metsmerized is saying that she's unlikely to get the job. So uh, maybe another one bites the dust. And uh, I wanted to correct. I realized it shortly after I said it. I said Brian Gersh from the Cardinals. It's actually Mike Gersh. I just want to make sure I sound smart um, because I really got to fake it. But yeah, no, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to say what I said last week where it was, you know, stay tuned to that YouTube. We're going to be on there soon. Uh, I'm not gonna hold out hope yet but well, the Mets need to know, do hope. something it's like the guy poking yeah. with a stick saying do something yeah they just they have to do something get someone in here um all we all we keep hearing is people unlikely or not gonna take the job I just want to hear one report of like this person other than Brian Sabian which can we briefly talk about how hilarious that scenario was he Brian Sabian for, former Giants president basically said you know publicly stated his interest in the Mets by just leaking to Daily News, the Post, and a couple other places that he wants the job. And now the Mets didn't reach out to speak to him, interview him, nothing, which is fine. Like, they don't want Brian Sabian, a guy who basically retired from running baseball operations years ago, who magically, you know, wants back in. They have every right to not want to talk to him. And now he's like, well, I don't want the job anymore. That's like going to the bar, hitting on a girl, and then being like, never mind, you weren't good looking anyway. Like, Yeah, because you rejected what, me. What? You didn't give yeah, me attention. Exactly. Yeah, what what kind of move by Brian Sabine? But, uh, it's the lowest you know. form of human move, like sad boy move yeah. ever. Yeah, but hopefully we're getting more word of, like I want to see a report, Mets requested permission, and this person actually wants the job. Like, I'm waiting for that kind of report because we've had enough of the uh, the uh, other. It would be nice. I really, I say it every week, and I, God, I truly mean it. I hope the next time I open the show with episode 67 next week that the Mets will have somebody running this team and that there will be a video on the Dusty YouTube channel. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. 
my white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.